back to this week at Windsor. Arden at the helm with you once again, where I belong, and our producer Mariah joins us. Good Hello. afternoon. <laughs> that was way too early. <laughs> it's also it's also quiet without Jonathan here. It you feel is. like you can just do whatever you want. The boss is gone. Now yeah. we can. Now we can play. <laughs> <laughs> we can muck up. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> He's still with us in spirit. He only just left for the US um, yesterday. Or yep. this, I think he arrived this morning. So, yeah, he's, he's over there for a little bit going to a conference and stuff, which is pretty cool. He was really excited about it. He was telling me before he left. Um, we had the worship night on, um, on Sunday night, last Sunday night, which was awesome. Um, I'd encourage anyone to come along to the next one. I think the young adults folks want to do a few of them. Um, it was really, really good. So come along to that if you get the chance. And we've got some other stuff coming up too. We have our Christmas dinner for the women at Windsor coming up on the 25th of November. So make sure you get your tickets beforehand. And the big one, of course, is the carols coming up on the 17th of December. And we'll be combining it with food and family. So instead of the first week of the month in December, we will start at 5pm. 5pm. Okay, for food and family and then into the carols, <laughs> yes, which as always will be a very big evening. Yeah, I'm looking. I uh, There's skits and drama things and of course carols and yeah, it's going to be another big night. We always do a really good job of carols here at WDBC. Um, we don't have a special guest this week, but we do have part two of Jonathan's chat last time with Dr. Jenny Brown. So we're going to go to that chat now. Thank you for, for joining Mariah. Let's go to, to Dr. Jenny Brown. This is a podcast that comes out of a church, and uh, we're, we're a church family. We'll talk about that in a second. But um, yeah, we love to ask people who come on this podcast uh, about their own journey and, and how uh, Jesus drew them to this place of faith. Would you mind sharing a bit about that? Sure. It's such an important part of my life and has sustained me through the challenges of life and the griefs of life, just the hope that I have in Jesus. I did come to faith as a child in a family that were church attenders, not um, both parents professing a faith, but we all went to church. I loved the Bible from an early age. I did make a decision for Christ around age 12, but experienced him personally in the Bible, even younger, just that Mm. sense of Jesus standing with me as I read the Bible. So I'm so grateful to God for that. But like many who came to faith as a child, I had a period of wandering and rethinking the validity of the of taking the Bible so seriously and looking at our other faiths also helpful in in my 30s in that kind of period of doing extra study at university in, and wanting to fit in I think with an academic group that had me think it's not really that cool to be so serious as a Christian. And what I discovered during that time is just how God didn't let me go. And the Spirit drew me back in a wonderful way where I experienced His grace of I'm letting you wander but only so far and then bringing you back to see that, um, yeah, I'm real. Mm. And so that happened for me in that stage of my mid-30s. It was a very useful time to have kind of like a second conversion as an adult rather than a child and to see the hand of the Spirit in that rather than my works or my coming to my senses. I mean, truly, the Lord brought me to my senses. I don't think on my own I would have been able to. Praise God. 
uh, I was going to ask, but maybe you just answered it. Uh, was that uh, for you a deeply personal experience? Was there a community around you that that played a part in that um, in that coming back? Um, yeah, how would you characterize that? Oh, very briefly. But the story is, as a family, we moved from the U.S. to live in England, mm. and I walked past a church that had a sign up, Jesus Saves, and we just arrived. And I had ideas about kind of the church that might suit my more pluralistic leanings. And mm. here was a sign out the front of a church. And I just felt compelled that this is where we're going to go to church on Sunday. And I sat in that pew, mm. <laughs> that wooden, old mm. wooden pew, and heard the Bible taught in such a powerful way to me, mm. <laughs> like revisiting, oh, where else have I to go, Lord? You alone have words of eternal life. Your word is powerful. And so, you know, they, the last hymn was Great is Thy Faithfulness. It's become my favorite hymn. I just sobbed through it. Yeah. I don't think anyone saw me or was aware, <laughs> just sitting there saying, oh, Lord, what? how amazing is your grace mm. that you would bring me back to sit under your word and your loving authority. Thank you for sharing the story. I really appreciate that. And I think it's important uh, to hear that even in, you know, today everything's very digital and people can you know, click into a stream or you watch yeah. a YouTube video, but something happens when God's people gather together and just to hear the, you know, to sit under the word and that's, that's powerful. Praise him. Yeah. Um, speaking of churches, you do a lot of work in families. Mm -hmm. Our tagline here at WDBC is we're a family of faith following Christ to freedom. I know that those of you at home listening are taking notes. You could have said that by heart. Um, but does your work apply to other institutions or organizations, or is it simply within a family unit? Like, would a church benefit from systems thinking? Uh, yes, indeed. <laughs> indeed. I've been at a, a symposium today looking at the same patterns I talked about in families and how they play out in congregations, in ministry teams. And, you know, Jonathan, it's very sad that because we live in an anxious fallen world, we do have in Christian community some of the same relationship fallouts that happen in the broader secular community. It's there. It's one of the main reasons that people return from the mission field mm. is team relationship ruptures rather than not being able to adapt to the culture so there and the bible tells us that all creation's groaning it's part of our um just the the human condition made in god's image but also our relationships are all out of kilter because of our wanting to do things our way not god's way and yeah, it's these ideas, even though they haven't come from the Bible, I just see them as a, a real gift of common grace to do relationships better anywhere. You mentioned friction. I've heard the phrase bantied about anxious system. I've seen books about being a non-anxious presence. And, and one of the things that struck me from your book, Growing Yourself Up, was the role of managing anxiety and, and how that can play out. Um, could you maybe give an off-the-cuff definition of what is an anxious system in, in your understanding and maybe how does anxiety play a part in relationships? It's such a big driver of relationship patterns and ways we go about things, but I'm not talking, and family systems theory isn't talking about 
classic clinical anxiety that we hear a lot about, not panic symptoms. I mean, they might be part of it, but anxiety, think of it as tension, that when somebody close to you is tense, you can tell, can't you? You don't need them to tell you that they're tense. It's just there. We're so wired to picking up on tension in others. And we respond in certain reactive ways and that goes back and forth and we're all affecting each other. So that's kind of just the flow of tension is always just going around and learning to watch your part in it. What's my predictable reaction to tension in another? Do I avoid? Do I distance? Do I try to take over and do too much and settle? Do I... um, complain to a third party about the person who I think is a bit tense and that's triangling or do I just avoid where the tension is and make a project out of someone else as happens in families with children but it happens in other places as well so I hope that gives a sense it's I always think of it as tension is reminding me that it's always being read in relationships and so it's a back and forth it's not one causes a problem in the other we're always affecting each other so I'm always when there's tension in my workplace I'm thinking gosh what is my colleague up against dealing with my way of responding to tension or how am I the difficult person for others what do I need to adjust How can I calm myself down, slow myself down? Because one thing I realise I do at work, when I feel vulnerable and a sense of, gosh, I'm not doing a good enough job, I just ramp it up Mm. and take on new projects to fix it all, which without really thinking it through and the effect it's going to have on others, and I'm just learning it's a you'd think I'd have learned by now but it's never ending just slow down Jenny put the pause button on don't Mm. react even if you think you're doing good things that are problem solving how are they going to affect your team Mm. by making these decisions without consulting without thinking through the consequences so I hope that gives a bit of a flavor as I'm listening to you I'm just savoring all the wisdom but my mind is exploding with all sorts of different scenarios yeah, we've and got so many examples haven't we absolutely and and um i don't know where this fits in the in the scheme of things but in in my work with people it seems that people tend to find something that works for them and so you know maybe it's their way of avoiding conflict or or acting within a conflict and they just sort of have their thing mm-hmm. and they seem to try to orchestrate life using that thing or to to get them into spots where they can do that thing um but god has this funny way of putting us in situations where it doesn't work all the time um so what would you say to someone who is feeling just up against it they're like here i am i feel painted into a corner people around me are reacting in ways i don't understand i can't predict uh it seems to be getting worse i'm getting flooded what what's some just a like Hey, tomorrow when I show up, this is this is just a couple simple things that maybe I can do um, that might calm the chaos here. Well, there's no simple three steps to turning it around within one week, even though there are books out there that have those kind of titles. Um, I'm sorry to say that, but I would say that the starting point 
to calming things down is becoming a better observer of yourself, of myself and what's going on, what's getting triggered in me, how am I responding to it, how are other people responding to me and just looking at the back and forth and not trying to fix it straight away. We've got to understand it first. And then we can make some different choices about how we can change what's in our control rather than the common blame and change thing that happens where there's tension is how to pointing the finger, it's all the other person's fault or the other person needs to change rather than this is the beauty of systems I can change myself always. I can adjust myself and the benefits of that can ripple effect to others and enable them to make changes. Thank you for that. I I like that's helpful. I want to ask you about uh, marriages and particularly uh, children as they come into marriages. I had the chance of hearing you speak about this at the Building Better Marriages Conference a couple months ago. And um, I think it's particularly relevant for my context and the people who, who worship with us here at WDBC. Uh, a lot of new babies come, a lot of first-time parents, uh, a lot of parents with you know, multiple kids in primary school, um, you know, some grieving that they don't have children, uh, you know, facing, facing those issues. Um, but can you talk a little bit about uh, triangling and, and maybe some threats or some things that may happen in a married relationship around children and they're joining the family? Sure. I mean, how wonderful to have so many babies born and children coming in. And I'm glad you also recognize the pain of infertility for many. Um, But certainly, the arrival of children is one of the most challenging, disruptive times for a marriage. Even though it's joyous for most marriages because of the wonder of this miracle of new life, it drains the energy Mm. out of the mother in particular, but fathers as well, sleep deprivation. There is no longer the resource of energy to give the same attention to the spouse that they were used to. And that triggers tension. Mm. So that's an immediate triangle of a parent, usually the mother in the early years, is putting a lot of essential focus on a new baby and the father, the the husband, is experiencing the discomfort of where do I fit in here? I'm an outsider now. I was used to a wife who had more energy, who wasn't so exhausted, who was more available for attention and doing things together. So it is such a huge adjustment. It's a normal adjustment. Everyone goes through it. And um, some people really are challenged by it. But one of the common ways that people cope with it is to stop talking together as husband and wife about how are we experiencing this change and instead just talking about the kids. Mm. And everything becomes about how's our child doing? Are we doing what we need to give them all that they require? And that's a kind of triangle. It's kind of a detour. It's easier to just talk about the kids and stop expressing to each other, here's what life's like for me right now. How would you counsel a a family where there is a child where there's high need 
Mm-hmm. Um, maybe they have maybe they have a diagnosis. Maybe they have um, you know some factor in their situation which means that the, the child will be high demand. Um, how do you encourage couples to to continue to build that relationship when there is such a demanding, albeit beautiful, loving uh, opportunity here with the child um, with, with high needs? Well, it's a comp- every situation is different and complex, so my answer won't be a one-size-fits-all. Just a few thoughts. And the key one to say is that if we overcrowd a child, we, we sense their high needs, and there may be very real high needs and genetic issues, but if we become over-focused on doing for them thinking for them, directing, managing their emotions, it gets in the way of them developing whatever capacities they have, even if they're limited. And I don't want parents to feel guilty as they hear this because society is telling parents to jump on early intervention, give children all the treatment they can to turn things around. It's a very intensive parenting society And I think that clinicians and researchers are starting to see that it's not helping families to put a lot of focus on changing and supporting and making the child everything. Mm. (laughs) Even though loving children and supporting them is essential and wonderful. So that might be confusing for people to hear, but I would just say with whatever the needs of your children, to work on how am I managing myself with my child here? Am I responding in ways that give them the space to struggle, to solve their own problems? Where I'm there for them, I can help, but I don't rush in to do too much. And so much of the work I'm doing now in the Parent Hope Project resources is helping parents change their energy direction from I'm just throwing everything at my child to I want to get myself back here, work out my parent job description, do what's within my capacity to do rather than just trying to change my child all the time or change my my husband or wife. And just work within staying in my own lane, if you think of that swimming metaphor. And that's the best way to parent whatever the child's needs are. I appreciate that, particularly distinguishing that there is maybe a space between overcrowding and between, you know, um, yeah, (laughs) abandonment or or Mm. not giving, you know, Mm -hmm. there is, there's a lane there. So I appreciate you highlighting that. Uh, Just a couple more, and you've been so generous with your time. Um, you mentioned this stat, and I was—it it sort of floored me. You said that the two highest periods of divorce rate mm-hmm. are when children are coming or going. We've talked yeah. about them uh, yes. coming, but do you, what about the empty nesters and and when when the kids leave the house? Are there particular new threats in in that space that that maybe people should be aware of? Yeah. So yeah, interestingly, the arrival of child number two, that's where the strain really goes up in the general stats. And then when the last child leaves school. And what I think is the key there is that parents, often without realising it, have stopped 
working on their intimacy. And I mean intimacy in its broadest sense in all forms, but it's really about stopping growing together and getting to know each other. So as I said earlier, if we're always distancing, just be our, our marriages just can become a lot of activity. And around children and their events and their school events and all of that's taken away and husband and wife are looking at each other and thinking, gosh, do I know you anymore? I thought I did. Uh, is there anything left between us? So I would say to those young families in your church or spouses at any stage of life, get to know each other day by day, week by week. And I know that sounds a puzzle because you feel like you know your spouse really well. But just to say, what was it like for you today managing whatever was going on? Not just a news report, oh, what happened today? And that's the end of the conversation. To always pick something. If a, a mother says, a wife says to her husband, oh, I'm so exhausted today. And they just say, you know, what were some of the things you were up against? And what was mm -hmm. that like for you? How did you manage it? Mm. Just say, oh, it's so good to understand what you're going through right now. And we want to do that with our struggles and our joys, not stop letting the other get to know us and being interested in the experience of the other. So I'll just throw in here, I say, be careful of triangling children where all you do is talk about your kids and I've got grown-up daughters and grandchildren now, and I love talking about them. So this is not a rule, don't talk about them. But the, the better thing for a marriage is to talk about what it's like as a parent right now, what it's like having a child reaching high school age, what it brings up about my memories of being that age. There's so much we can share with each other by not just talking about the child, but talking about what it's bringing up for us, what it's like for us. I love that question. What is it like for you? Because so often we're just trading information mm -hmm. and that's not connecting at all. But when you actually stop to hear the other person's experience, then you're actually saying, I value you. I'm ready to be attentive to you. Yeah. I'm present with you. I'm not just here to receive the information that you've been gathering throughout the day. Yes. So I love that question. What is it like for you? Um, I'm going to uh, ask you about resources that you'd point people to, but what one final question before that, uh, we're doing a series in church on pain and all different types of uh, ways we experience pain, things that cause us pain. And one thing that keeps recurring for, for, for me as I'm preparing is um, how important lament is, uh, how important it is to, to sort of hallow these hurts that we experience um, you mentioned grief played such a big part of your story. And, and I just wonder, you know, if there's people listening and, and this conversation has perhaps touched on grief for them mm -hmm. and maybe the dark cloud that they'd been trying to keep at bay has suddenly come right in front of them again. Um, how, how would you encourage somebody to, I guess, abide that grief in, in the moment. What, what, what do you do when that comes? Um, answer in whatever way you think might. Well, there's so many angles on that, but I would say that one of the most challenging, most painful things in life is a disappointment in a relationship, mm. a real loss of what we hoped a marriage or a relationship with a child would be like or with our 
children and our grandchildren. There's so much pain out there with relationship ruptures. And I've talked about continuing to talk to the important people in our life about what we're going through. Don't go into a shell with pain. We're relational beings. Talk about it. But most importantly, we've got a a loving God, Father, Son, Spirit, who has sacrificed so much to bring us into relationship with him and wants to hear from us. So probably the worst triangle of all is when we detour our pain, even talk about our disappointment with God to everyone but God, Mm. (laughs) rather than take it directly to him and express our everything. This is what's going on for me, God. I'm st- that's the, the lament, isn't it? Mm. And, and the Psalms are full of it. And to experience God's presence in our valleys is what we need, but often we just go to all the wrong places. And I love that you pointed us to the Psalms. I remember when I came to faith, I'd ask people, oh, what's your favorite book in the Bible? You know, and you, the older they got, the more they said Psalms. And I remember thinking, why well, are you like reading a bunch of praise songs? But now, like, this is, this is pouring our heart out. It's kind of it that is. language of, of connecting with God, a God who's so big and we often can't understand. Um, can you just leave us with uh, some ways to get to know more about your work and your research, uh, the Family Systems Institute there? I think I got it that time. Um, uh, yeah, where can, where can people go if they want to find out more? So the Family Systems Institute, just look up the fsi.com.au and that their training resources if people want to train in either ministry or life or their work to understand Bowen theory. And then the work I'm most involved in at the moment is the Parent Hope Project. So look up parenthopeproject.com.au. Look at all the resources there for parents and for those who are in the field of child and family mental health who want to help parents. I feel and think, (laughs) put the feeling and thinking together, believe Mm. strongly that supporting parents is the most important way to deal with the mental health challenges in children, not to load guilt onto parents but help them feel more confident. So there is a podcast, there's lots of blogs, there are parenting courses online, professionally filmed, available for parents to download, watch together, discuss together, or churches can run them, stream the courses as a a community event. So I do hope that people take a look. Well, thank you so much, Jenny, for joining us today. It's been an absolute treat. Thanks for coming on. Been great to talk to you, Jonathan. (laughs) Jenny Brown joining us today on This Week at Windsor. Hope you all have a great week. We'll catch you next time.